Welcome to our Friday Five Live podcast hosted by Meg Foster. Meg has spent 20 years in higher education focused on student success initiatives and working in areas such as orientation, faculty development, online learning, student leadership, and first-year initiatives. Good morning, everyone. Um, We are so thrilled to have with us um, today for our inaugural conversation, Denise Sweat conversation on leadership, um, Dr. Dingjo Curry, um, who comes to us with over 40 years of experience in the California higher education system. Um, she retired in 2011 from Coast Colleges, where she served as the chancellor overse- overseeing three outstanding colleges. And I love that term. Um, and also served as the president of Coastline Community College Um, prior to that work in the chancellor role. I'm currently serving as a distinguished faculty um, in the Community College Leadership Program, uh, the EDD program um, at um, Cal State Fullerton, where she also um, is the founder and director of the Leadership Institute for Tomorrow, um, LIFT, and you can see um, that behind her there. Uh, LIFT aims to cultivate and develop leaders who will make a social impact in justice, equity, and inclusion from the ground up. And I just absolutely really love that um, mission statement. Um, So Dr. Curry, thank you so much for for joining us. Um, As we've mentioned, um, for those of you who who may have been um, listening since our early days in in the pandemic, um, Denise Sweat is a um, dear friend and colleague um, and we wanted to honor her amazing work as a leader um, with this conversation series that, um, that Dr. Curry's kicking off for us today. Um, so each month um, for the fall semester, we're gonna focus on kind of a different aspect of leadership um, and have conversations um, with Dr. Sweat's colleagues um, and just really honor her incredible legacy. So Dr. Curry, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I want to thank you for the opportunity for me to join you today. And also, what a way to honor someone's legacy. So this is an honor for me uh, to have this opportunity to share the space uh, with you and to honor the needs. Someone very special to many, I know. Mm-hmm. I know. I always, all of my conversations with Denise, I always left feeling like the work that I did really mattered. Um, and, and I always felt this like lift that it means such a wonderful, your, your program title as well, that, okay, I can, I can keep doing the work that I'm doing. Um, it matters and I'm making a difference and as exhausted as I am, we're going to keep pushing on. Um, and I put up a picture of Denise on here today, just to kind of keep us, um, grounded and inspired and focused. Um, so we're, we're having these conversations on leadership and, um, would love for you to kind of share with us how you've had such an incredible career and served in so many capacities. Um, and would love to kind of know a little bit about how you came to your current leadership position um, and sort of, you know, you mentioned um, in our conversation earlier, kind of this idea of, of mentorship, which I think is, and, and being able to see a leader Right, what it meant to, to see a leader who might look like yourself um, and, and the power of that. So um, I'm gonna stop talking so we can hear from you. Well, the leadership journey, um, my leadership journey has been in you know, 40 years. So I won't go there and I, I won't go into the details, but maybe something that just comes up in my mind is that standing out. 
actually in retrospect from some of the studies I did in recent years that I come to realize my leadership journey uh, began when I was born in Taiwan. I never thought of it that way, um, but I can go over that a little bit later, but I, I didn't realize really that the journey starts when you're born. I can talk a little bit about that, but I, I know what you want to know is about my leadership journey in my professional leadership um, career. So I will start there. That journey in higher education for me started uh, with my first job in Long Beach City College. Uh, when I was a young counselor uh, for the refugee assistance program, I sold myself being an immigrant that I can use my own experience to help the incoming Southeast Asian refugees. So it was during that era that a significant point in my life that I, till this day, I have no idea, but I have some inkling now, but certainly clueless as why I was sent to a leadership institute, the National Leadership Institute, <clears throat> development with Carolyn Disjardins in 1987. So most of you would not know that name, except those of us women of the 80s. Uh, I owe everything in my professional leadership journey uh, to Carolyn. And this is one of the reasons that I have devoted and made a commitment to leadership development, because I am a product of a leadership institute in Carolyn embraced me um, wholeheartedly. It was there at the Institute that I realized I am a leader. I didn't have a title of a leader, but I realized that I am a leader. Um, even though without titles, that's a whole different, you know, that's a different internal identity, whether you have an external title or you have an internal feeling of that identity, leader identity. And not only that, Coming from the NILD, I realized that I'm also a woman leader. That never occurred on my radar about female-male differences, which Carolyn taught me. It means something different, being a woman and being a leader. I'm glad, really, that I knew that when I started way back in the 80s. Otherwise, I, I think I may have had even a lot more questions about how I felt as a leader since most of the time I was with lots of men who wore the leader hats, the titles at the time. So NILD was a pivotal moment in my leadership journey where I met with lots of women leaders uh, with whom I connected, learned from, mentored by, and grew together. So that's a very important part of my leadership journey. And my leadership career really zigzagged because of my diverse interests. I'm interested in everything. And uh, I've taken a very non-traditional route from student services where I started as a counselor to instructional side of the house. And then I ventured to economic and community development, online virtual college, grants, career technical education all of which contributed to my leadership journey. I, I, that, that counselor job in the refugee assistance program of 10 years um, that I was hired, 
After that, I was hired by Saddleback College, uh, still in California, all my careers in California, and served as a matriculation coordinator in the Office of Instruction. But what I found is that my passion to work in, with the communities led me to become one of the first to assume a job. I love doing new things that people haven't done before. That just interests me. So I assume one of the first cabinet level job in California, the vice president and assistant superintendent of economic and community development. I kind of made that job. I didn't make that job. The job came to me. And then, you know, it's not the box of what the title of that box is, is who occupies that box. So I, I had that creativity to create what a vice president of assistant, you know, superintendent for economic and community development is. And so I think that's probably the most interesting job that I had prior to becoming the president of the coastline. And I often think about it, if I didn't have that particular job, I don't think I would have been chosen to be coastline um, president. That's, of course, it's my own analysis, right? As a vice president, for that job, I saw, uh, oversaw such variety of programs and work with international, domestic training, uh, industry partnerships, community education, secured millions of grants. Um, and lastly, I even started a virtual college that the, col that the president wanted me to do and became the regional California virtual campus at that time, providing training to uh, the LA region colleges to start their online program. I was comfortable then because of those opportunities of raising money because I had to, since there was no budget for what I wanted to do, mm -hmm. I had to go find the money. It was hard at the time, but later I said, thank God I had the cha challenge to do so. And then, of course, I was in heaven when I was in the communities, working with the community leaders. That I had to practice from being in the refugee program. So many communities have to come together to assist the refugee success in the new community. So I was certainly an early leader also in online education with developing virtual campuses. Um, many of debates, discussions, and consultations. So why wouldn't they choose me to be the president of one of the colleges that's community-based, no major campus that has <laughs> students worldwide in distance learning and pride themselves as innovative college. So Coastline gave me all the validations as a president that I needed as a leader to a, a, a platform to be finally, I think, free to be creative, to be engage with the communities, and most of all, to have a college that loved me right back. Mm -hmm. All this has been practiced in my prior jobs. So a, a, every single day of my presidency in the seven years was rich and rewarding. Mm -hmm. I was happy. So I would ask you, how happy are you doing what you're doing now? And question yourself, how do I go find the happiness when I'm working? I can't say that I ever had a bad day at Coastline because I was surrounded by wonderful, positive, hardworking, loving people at Coastline. I actually didn't really want to be a chancellor, to be very honest, but I was called upon to serve. 
And I did go to the district office and serve as the chancellor because I felt I was needed at that time. It was very hard for me to leave being a very happy president. So it was never what I pursued. In fact, I never pursued any job. In one way or the other, my leadership journey had lots of lanterns uh, in front of me, guiding my way, but also lots of footprints on my back, giving me the kick into the next job I had. So after 31 years in the community colleges, I felt it was time for change yet again. Uh, That kick was there. This time the kick came from inside of me, just knowing right when it's time to go. I switched to CSU Fullerton in the EDD Community College uh, because it was leadership development. That's purposeful for me. I see that future in this chapter of my career. And also starting a leadership program that I had dreamed about because of all the leadership institute that I've been involved with nationally, I knew there was a void, a huge void. So I started this Leadership Institute program that I envisioned. So the program Leadership Institute for Tomorrow is targeting the entry-level higher education young people, cultivating, I know, a future generational leaders that have not yet seen the evidence that I want to see in higher education. So I, I feel that the future leaders is really the salvation for higher education, for community colleges. You know, having leaders who truly understand all the isms, all the isms that's in the strand of those fabrics in our system and know how to remove those strands of, gosh, all the isms, racism, classism, sexism, ageism, ableism, I mean, you name it. All those isms that we have, you know, if you live in higher education, you live with these up close and personal, we see that and we want to remove those and that we have not done well. And I know we've got to have leaders, leadership matters. I, if I could be so vain and bold to say that, that I want to see this future of generations growing to leaders um, one at a time. So right now I do it through leadership EDD program, growing community college leaders one at a time. That's on academically. And then through LIFT, it's not academically, but it's soulfully Mm -hmm. doing the business of life transformation. So my leadership journey, I sum it up, is a leader, it's a journey of life transformation, of my own transformation, as well as witnessing, developing the transformation of others that has been so rich and rewarding. It, it gives me that happiness every day. I just love, you know, I, I feel like we could talk about this for so long. Um, I, I want to peel back all of your story. And I love this idea of how you've been so open to the journey. Um, I, I know as somebody, you know, who's now been in higher ed only 20 years. Initially, when I started off my journey, I wanted it to be very clear what were the steps, right? We're going to do this and then this and then this and then this and then you're the dean of students or whatever it is. Um, but your openness to these different opportunities really grew 
um, just this, I feel like being open to the organic experience, right, of growth um, and these roles and um, kind of, as you sort of shared, um, sort of trusting in yourself to know when it's time for that next chapter and then trusting in these mentors and folks who put those footprints on your back, I think, as you so eloquently said, to kind of push you into new opportunities. I, I want to ask a question that isn't here, though, but, um, you know, there's been so much discussion lately in, in national news about um, staff burnout, particularly in student services. I mean, in higher education, you know, we, we're hearing about it, but I'm really thinking from the student service perspective. And um, Kevin Kruger was quoted from NASPA in the Chronicle of Higher Ed in the last couple of weeks that they're surveying of, of recent graduates from um, higher ed programs, folks are talking about not planning on staying in roles in, in higher education for more than five years, that, that that's how high those burnout um, rates are. And would love to hear kind of is Lyft, how do you think Lyft or, or any of your work is really addressing that, you know, you're talking about building leadership and I love it, building it in, in these young identifying this right, in, in young professionals. How do you think that connects with this bigger kind of conversation we're having about how are we supporting our staff, uh, particularly in our student services side of the house? Thank you for asking that question. I didn't, uh, it's not there, but it's okay. It's a very important question. I see uh, for Lyft, I mean, Lyft has so many meanings for me of why I use the name Lyft because it's about lifting everybody. Mm-hmm. One of the things that is so important is about us. And that's where it starts. It is really our own personal transformation. So what is it that we are filling ourselves with, right? Um, we know that some physical food uh, may be nourishing, but there are many toxic food that we put in our system that actually drains our energy. So from a physical sense to a mental sense to a spiritual sense, I want to ask you, um, what are you feeling yourself with? Why am I feeling so tired physically? What are we doing physically, right? That, that drains our um, physical energy. So that's one thing. And so who you are and how you are is how you will lead. So it's not only uh, doing the work, but actually being able to stand up straight and lead others. Because if you have that leader identity from the internal, you understand who we are and that responsibility of being a role model. I know that's a lot of mental load and it takes practice until that is becoming automatic that you know that mindfulness is a constant and not something you all almost have to work at anymore because constantly you understand my active mode. So that aside, back to your question, how do we prevent burnout? I can only tell you uh, for my own experience and what I witnessed in others who had that energy is, first of all, I'm an energy sucker. That means I suck the energy out of you. But what that means is in a good sense. People, if you love people, and I do, and I, I, when I am with people, I generate energy internally. They give me, this is a cyclical thing for me. So that's one. So ask yourself, 
do you really enjoy people? Now, that doesn't mean that if you're an introvert, you need that time to center again. That's perfectly fine. But it's a people business. And with student affairs, it's especially people business. So do you mindfully allow this drawing the energy or this way that, that your energy is exhausting out, spent, or are you actually making that cyclical ecosystem that while you're giving your energy to others, at the same time, being with that student, being with the team, it also gives you that energy. So how do we create that ecosystem? The other thing is, what food are you giving yourself spiritually, mentally? That is so important that you mentioned this topic. What is it that we anchor ourselves in so all these forces come at us, we don't go down. But if you're well anchored, as you know, if we, go, we have a down day, guess what? The next day comes back up because I'm filled with spiritual energy again. I'm filled with that mental energy to allow me to go again. So I think that self-reflection of what are we eating? What are we eating in the physical food as well as spiritual food? And how are we reorganizing, balancing our mental low? All of that has to do with how are we doing, doing this work that is so important that that really takes energy to take care of everything, especially all the student affairs people know today, what you have to deal with in the middle of pandemic, a return to campus pandemic uh, context. How do we create a new kind of normal today? So those are things that back in, in centering ourselves first. This is not any different from putting the oxygen you know, mask on, uh, yourself and speaking of oxygen, oxygen does deflate. That's another uh, uh, energy um, metaphor that we have with lift is how do you lift? So if you're that balloon, oxygen will only give you so much lift. But if you feel with other in that balloon, how does that balloon you know, rise? So be very conscious of what you fill your balloon with so you can rise easily. And so that others could see that rise and it's just so inspiring. Um, but do, do understand that it, it is um, tiring. So physically, I am very conscious about how many hours of sleep I get every day. I said, if I have to get up at six, what does that mean in terms of I got to go to bed? But so I'm very mindful of that physical health as well as the mental, emotional and spiritual aspect of ourselves. I don't know if that answered your question. I think it does. And I, you know, one of the things I think that you said that I, I don't know that in my career, anybody has ever said this, is that, you know, as a leader, you're a role model. And I've always recognized that. Um, at our house, we talk a lot about to whom much is given, much is expected. Um, but that that we practice, it's okay if we don't come out of the gate, right? Like. We, we practice in this role. And it's, um, I think so often um, we've, in, in our world, you know, we kind of are, oh, well, that one is born a leader, right? And that one, that, that child there is not born a leader. I, I think that, the, and that, I think that's great fallacy, um, which really leads me to kind of my next question, because your program, 
lift is really all about equity and access. And if we live in a society where we identify, oh, that kid's the leader, that kid's not the leader, right? Um, that's not equitable, of course, that denies access. Um, and so I love this concept that these are skills we can learn. Absolutely. I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of are leaders born or are they made? Well, I can tell you there was once upon a time, I thought they just like born leaders. How can I be like that? That whatever that image, that profile is, I am not that. Later, I come to understand absolutely leadership is a behavioral science. Leaders are made. And we, how do we make them? We practice, right? We major in leadership. So you study leadership. You become a student of leadership and you learn. So who you are is how you will lead. And we are all different individuals. We will lead differently. And I learned later in life, how do we celebrate that differences? And not that everybody is in that mode. You know, I talked about from the gender perspective, right? We had the male model. So we think leaders is leading that way. And that's why some of the early women leaders, maybe some of them today, I do not know, still have bought into the male model brand. And so this is something that now we add the other diversity aspects to it. How do I, how do I lead as a, a, a person of Chinese heritage? I lead differently from someone who has the Latinx or Iranian heritage. We all lead differently. So who you are is how you manifest you in that leadership. So how we understand ourselves first, who we are, and this is what we work through. We come to higher education that come to believe something, uh, we have a deficit. We're not whatever the blank may be. And so we, we perceive ourselves, I did. I perceive myself because of my background as an immigrant, the way I think, the way I looked, behaved, spoke, and, and so on, that I accepted that. I have to tell you that at one point in time, because I'm an immigrant, that I intersected this way, that thinking I'm an outsider and probably would never be an insider. So I had to learn the hard way to find myself in the midst of the, all of these socializations that I have to come to have that clarity in my own vision to see that, oh, I see what I have been socialized with. So I think my own liberation came finally when I was given the opportunity to assume a leadership title then, because somehow somebody saw me believed in me and gave me that chance to be me. So I understand that from a very personal level. So we do a lot of that in uh, Leadership Institute. So I come to learn how to exert my own way of, of leading, how to be authentic and to what I believe and how people want to be treated. It's not basic, very basic golden rules, right? So I use all of those to test out my own hypothesis and my own belief and my own cultural and spiritual values. 
I may not say that out loud, but inside, I know I was testing all those to see, does that really work to be who I am? And when I received the validations because people responded, I knew that put, put people first was the right intentionality to have. Maybe my boss didn't. And I said, if I was a boss, I would never do it that way. And when I am the boss, I did it differently and I received a different response. I come to understand how, for example, a love-based versus a power-based model really looks like and feel like because I experienced it as a recipient being loved by my boss as well as the giver of love. And I experienced that and know that that works. So ask what your are, you know, the, the strategies and that's mindful, intentional. Uh, you are absolutely right. If we are going to think about anything we do is not as automatic practice. You, you make that and the practice makes perfect. It is so true from a physical sense to a mental sense of being um, practicing that intentionality nothing happens by accident. If you think someone's doing something so wonderfully, it came from intentional practice. We are, we have to see ourselves. We are architects, we are designers. So we have to have that vision, right? You see it, and then how do I build it to, to that vision? And uh, that, I think it's an important process, and that is an organic process. We constantly working on it. I'm just very fortunate that I have the best of all worlds to have been inculcated with the cultural values. We all have our own background, our own context, a, a family culture or our you know, ethnic culture that my, my culture happens to value collectivism from the Chinese ancestry. So that collective that I didn't understand before and now I do is always more important than my own individual liberty. Even though I've been taught here from the socialization that, no, think about yourself, you know, what is more important? What do you want? And I find it very difficult to separate me from the collective because that's my, my own vocation. I don't know if I'm answering your question. And you are. Give me the hook anytime. <laughs> this is all, it's, it's just fascinating. And I love this concept of, of understanding ourselves, you know, from our cultural, from, from all of the aspects of our, who we are, right. And how we're going to bring that, who we are is, is how we lead, as you've so eloquently said. And, and you're talking about your own experience, witnessing and being in, in, in places where, the leadership you witnessed and experienced was love-based versus power-based, right? And then how we sometimes then say, oh, this, is, this resonates with my soul and this is how I'm going to lead. So I would love to kind of weave in, you know, we've talked about Lyft. Could you just kind of give us a, a little taste of what Lyft is and um, when it takes place and who's involved? Because I know this is such important work um, that's happening in your system. The lift concept is, um, excuse me, unique in that we, unlike most of the institutes that people send their um, leaders who have the titles of leaders 
So I recognize that the most of the leaders on the bottom run don't have the titles oftentimes, and maybe they just acquire a new title to see themselves as the leaders and don't know how to go about that journey. So we want to help this new generation to first of all, see themselves, see the gym that they truly are and how they are so needed. That, that internal validation, that internal acceptance, the internal intersection of us, uh, owning that leader title within themselves, regardless of what title is. So LIFT is designed to lift those, everyone, lift everyone, those who are fairly new to the system, that maybe they want to have some guidance and those who felt that they have been unseen, that they're visible, invisible on their mm -hmm. campus, that they're um, unvalidated, they are undervalued or not recognized uh, as leaders on their campus. So our work and model has been validated because of what we witnessed in really the transformative power when we actually focus on this internal transformation that will stay with them. And then also, once you assume like I did, when I first went to the Leadership Institute, Carolyn was creating the kind of program that was for women and the same is transformative. So the lift emphasized this intentionality of growing everyone to be leaders in their own right uh, with their unique strength and with the support that we can provide for the growth. So LIFT is intentional strategies also on our part to ask the CEOs, the executives to think about maybe that they never look for who are those next, you know, the di next diamonds on your campus. And maybe you only saw or by others as just a piece of rock, but there are diamonds to mine and that they will shine if we only invest in the effort uh, to work with them. And we integrate the, the arts. And this is a very, a very unique feature of LIFT. So I'm not going to do any shameless plug about LIFT, but, but to tell you that it's an institute that's made for very, very diverse um, targeting with very intentionally um, target diverse leaders. And we also help them intersect with leaders of very diverse leaders of all kinds, because if we are diverse, leaders should be diverse too. And there's not only one brand, one model, there are many, many different ways in which we lead. And we want to celebrate that. We want those who are in you know, this business to see somebody they could identify with early on to understand that there is a possibility for them. For me, I mentioned that earlier in our chat, that powerful moment when I uh, came for me, when I saw the first Asian woman president, uh, Evelyn Wong, that was a powerful moment. And I truly experienced the power of identity until you someone that you can identify with, somehow that possibility didn't exist for you. So for me, it's very important 
to allow everyone to see diverse leaderships, that they see the possibilities in themselves first. And finding that purpose, finding that purpose and mission really is a driver for me. Developing new leaders, for example, that's my purpose. So that drives me. Uh, that urgency drives me. That joy drives me. So those drivers uh, needs to come from internal. So we lift, we really focus uh, a lot less on transactional. How do you do a budget? How do you do this? That's very technical. That can be learned very easily. But those internal drivers, it's not something that every campus, every institution uh, has that nurturing environment yet you know, to have. And we want to grow leaders who understand those kind of contexts, who can design those kind of environments from small teams they build. So practice that leadership journey from wherever they sit, whether they have a title or not. I'm going to stop there because I could go on and on, I know. <laughs> well, I do, I, I do have a question. If, you know, I work in a, in a community college system in the state of Virginia and and, and there's certainly leadership development, you know, programs in our state. Have you found that Lyft is something that you feel like other states could adopt as, as a kind of a program, you know, a foundation to grow leadership in there? Absolutely. Our idea is create a model that this model, the transformative model works in that we see people change. It doesn't mean that it's overnight that, that the work is done. It's a continuous effort, right? Leadership is a lifelong journey. So we are all on different points of that journey growing together. So it's on the continuum. But the fundamental elements of that structure, the important ingredients, that the spiritual food that we can help people grow from the inside out, that model absolutely can be duplicated and really needs to be duplicated uh, throughout the entire country. And we need to have lift models inside every institution. So we know how to recognize those diamonds in the rough, how to rise up everybody in your institution. How do we really help our students rise and not to see their deficit first and trying to bridge those deficits, but how do we see them in a different lens and see the, what the strength, this is something we do in Lyft, how do we help people to see the strength that they bring with them from, like I said, day one, uh, when I was born in Taiwan as a Chinese, what does that mean? Uh, that I grew up as a Chinese. How do I, what does that mean that when I have done these things and help them translate and see that that's the helium that in the balloon that mm. helps rise, right? That's the spiritual anchor that will be their uh, anchor uh, for life. So that needs to be uh, an environment. The, the model needs to be in every institution. If we are to not only survive, but thrive in the diverse environment. This is new. We just come to intersect with diversity. Really, we've been segregated and maybe we're integrated now, I always say, but we just really are desegregated. 
we haven't really integrated how to live with diversity and let alone how to thrive in a very diverse environment. So there are a lot of learning we can do together. And what Lyft does is help people to have that experience to understand, oh, this is really truly a small glimpse of what we can be when we do lift everyone together. I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> Sometimes no. it's an experience that really, you know, feel the story and understand that personal journey. Right. It's so relational. And I think about what you shared about coming from this place of seeing strengths and not deficits. And, and I think about the students that I work with. And that's, you know, really always my first approach with my students is that, you know, we all come at this work with innate abilities and innate knowledge and strengths and um, intelligence. And, and so thinking about approaching it. So I kind of see this as a ripple effect, right? If, if we have this transformational leadership experience, that's going to ripple out into our campus community and culture, into our students. I mean, it's, it's very powerful. We, we unfortunately only have four minutes left, and I want to make sure if folks do have any questions, please put those in the chat. But, but I think as kind of a, a, a sort of final question to wrap up is, you know, sort of this last one. What I hear you speaking so eloquently about is, is you know, relationship connection, the relationship we have with ourselves, the relationships we have with one another, how we grow and learn from that. And we haven't used the word mentorship, but I feel like I'm hearing a lot about that. And so this last question that we posed about what tools do you use to guide your work? So any recommendations you might have, and I'm particularly thinking if there's somebody listening in who's like, Mm, I don't know how to, how do I find a mentor, right? Like, I know that sounds so simple, um, but I hear a lot from my colleagues that they're kind of looking for uh, that person who will help them begin to see this innate ability, leadership ability themselves. Funny you should ask that question about mentor, because in the next hour of the lift, of, we are actually hosting a webinar on the secret of excellent mentor-mentee relationship. Oh. Yeah, in the next hour. But the 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 secret of which we'll reveal next, you know, hour is. But the thing is, uh, we all need that that lantern that I was talking about, and that foot on my back that I was talking about. Those were all lit. The lantern was lit by my mentors. Mm. The kick was from my mentors. The things that I can't see, they, they shine a light on, right? Because we only see what we see. But once people point out, as you know, one of these you know, images is that, oh, you see the old lady and the young lady. Once someone point that out, and you say, oh, I do see both now. So it's really important to have others to help you see. And then that's the mentoring. Uh, so I want to borrow other people's eyes and use their sight to help me see. That's mentoring. My mentor had done that for me. And then when we don't know, when we have fear, when we don't see that the next step is right in front of you, and I'm not, I'm not taking that step toward it, that someone just gave me a kick and said, Go in that direction. Go, you go. I see you having the muscle, the strength, the capability, the capacity to go there and, and 
give that a kick. And then I realized they were right. I am growing because they kicked me into this role. So mentors are important to identify mentors that really resonate with you. I can tell you many had given me advice in the past. And I said, no, I, I can't do that. It's a misalignment of who I am. Mm. So don't feel bad when you meet someone mentoring something that you just say, that does not feel like me. It's misaligned with who I am. And you also have to recognize that finding mentors that align with my own value and understand me, that gets me and help me to be Ding Joe's 2.0, not John 2.0, that they want to see me to be a duplicate of them. That does not work. To me, that's a, a mentor that you also, just like choosing friends, choosing mentor is the same thing. You know, who you, who you are with, who are in your close circles and who you have become. That socialization, that power of your inner circles is important. So how do we break that to experience new things at the same time that mentors often is that a door opener. It's a key to say, hey, try experience something and embrace that as you were talking about earlier, embrace that openness. So mentors are really those who have helped me tremendously. I do not have any idea where I would have been without all those mentors that I have had. And it's great to have multiple mentors because they give me different diverse perspectives of seeing them as well as finding the new me in myself to experiment with. That's power. Um, but I want to say mentor, mentee, uh, the best way to learn how to be a, um, a good mentee is being a mentor. So I always say, we, I, we tell our lifters, you got two hands. One is holding on to your mentor. The other, you have to go bring someone up with the other hand because in that process, we learn how to be a better mentor as well as a better mentee. So I'll stop there. Oh, I just love that image. And I think um, Pam has chatted in that, um, that Denise would be so proud and that she was a really proud lift mentor. So I feel like that's a wonderful um, kind of opportunity to wrap up our conversation today in honor of um, our friend and colleague, um, Denise Sweat. Dr. Curry, thank you so much for your time today. It has been inspirational. Um, it has truly lifted me. Um, I feel like I am in, I feel Denise's presence here with us. And I, I think she would be um, excited about these conversations um, that we're having these important conversations. Um, so I would encourage everyone join us again. Um, October 8th, we're meeting with um, Phil Hill and Kevin Kelly, um, who are going to kind of help us vision what the future of higher education looks like. So that'll be an interesting um, conversation. And then on the 22nd of October, um, we'll return to our Denise Sweat Leadership Series and talk about accessibility um, and, and, and ending some of those isms, um, I think, as it relates to um, students using disability services and things like that at our institution. So Dr. Curry, I know you've got a busy day today. Thank you so much for Zooming with us. And um, I wish everyone a wonderful weekend. We hope there is time for rest. Um, renewal um, and inspiration as well. Take care.
Thank you for giving me the opportunity to honor Denise, who is also a family of Lyft. Thank you so much. Friday Five Live is brought to you by Innovative Educators. Innovative Educators offers six online services for your onboarding support and training needs. Visit us at innovativeeducators.org to see how we can support your student success initiatives.